Scrapper fans, and welcome to the second instalment of March Mania, the podcast for the month of March, actually this time taking place in the month of March, in which myself, your Let Me Tell You Something co-host, Lorcan Mullen, and the Koji Kitao to my Genichiro Tenru, Mr. Simon Cross, discuss a match from the wide history of WrestleMania, setting ourselves little goals along the way to prevent repetition and to cover the whole historical period. So we're covering a match from every four WrestleManias, not as in like every fourth WrestleMania, but every four-year blocks of WrestleManias. And we are going to try to not repeat any of the in-ring participants in the match. Maybe someone will come back as a special guest referee or something later on. Who knows? We'll see as it goes along. But we started off at WrestleMania 3 with Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant with John Lister. Arguably the biggest match in the history of pro wrestling. And this isn't a rival for biggest match in wrestling history. But I think it's a significant match in wrestling history. Maybe the best distillation of WWF, WWE, wrestling and sports entertainment. Genuinely, I think you might make that case. Or I might try to make that case during this discussion. But before we go any further into that, Simon, tell us where are we, when is it, and who are taking part for what at stake? We are looking at a match taking place at WrestleMania 7. Famously, or infamously... Headlined by Hulk Hogan taking on Iraqi sympathizer, Sergeant Slaughter, for the title. We're not going to focus on that mess. Well, we can't with the rules that we set. Yes. Also, it it, it was a mess. It it was just like a mess of a storyline. Stupid idea. Never should have been done. My two cents on the matter. Where we are is the Los Angeles Memorial Sports Arena. But, but, But Simon... At WrestleMania 6, they kept going on about it taking place at the Los Angeles Coliseum. Ah, wow. Obviously, the the threat to uh, national security of having an Iraqi sympathizer wrestle against Hulk Hogan meant that they had to go to a more secure indoor arena. Everyone knows that. The match itself is a career-threatening match between Macho King Randy Savage and The Ultimate Warrior. It's interesting, actually, when you say that about the career-threatening aspect to it. I mean, it's not even threatening. The threat implies that it might happen, it might not happen. It will happen within the laws of this match. Like, one of the two people, quote-unquote, retires as a result of losing this match. Usually it's like, I'll put my career on the line if you put your title on the line. I'll put my career on the line if you put 50% of the company on the line. I'll put my career on the line... If you put that slice of cake you got and won't tell me where you got it from on the line. <laughs> Look, some office arguments are very heated where I work, okay? Yeah. The Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage. I don't think anyone would really dispute it, would they? That in the Hulk Hogan golden age of WWF wrestling, if we take it from 1984 to 1991. Which we're in. Or 1992, depending if you want to go on to WrestleMania 8, where Hulk Hogan has his retirement match. Uh, To have been that young and naive and really think these retirement stipulations were going to be stuck to. So, 
I think if you would say who were the, the, the second and third biggest stars of that era, I think you've got to go with Randy Savage and the Ultimate Warrior, really, haven't you? Obviously, you got, like, Andre the Giant, but he was a star before the Hulk Hogan. I guess people who became stars during the Hulk Hogan era, you would go with Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior. And they are the other two to hold the WWF Championship mm-hmm. during this period of time, along with Andre's Phantom reign with the belts i mean yeah we went into some detail about how andre is more of a special attraction in the previous episode so do you really count him in the same way that you would count savage and warrior i don't know like he's sort of like an icon that transcends being there all the time he sits in his own little island i think well, I guess my point would be, like, if you were to ask someone in the street in December of 1983 to name a pro wrestler in America, they would probably say Andre the Giant before they'd say anyone else. Yeah. Because Andre was the guy that was touring around every territory, and his arrival was a main event appearance. And he had more pop cultural significance. Although Hulk Hogan, again, by 1983, December of 1983, had been Thunderlips, so, and was already, like, a household name in Japan, but... Again, in Japan, Andre would be a bigger star there. Yeah. My point is that in January of 1984, no one really knows who Randy Savage is unless you're in the Tennessee Territory area. And absolutely no one knows who the Ultimate Warrior is because the Ultimate Warrior doesn't exist. (laughs) And funnily enough, this is also, when you look at it, the final third match in a little WrestleMania, Hulkamania era round robin of the main event stars because if you look at it wrestlemania 5 hulk hogan beat randy savage at the main event yep wrestlemania 6 the ultimate warrior beat hulk hogan in the main events and now wrestlemania 7 it's the payoff does randy savage leave it all equal one apiece or does the ultimate warrior come out with the grand slam holding the sick nations trophy high above his head ultimate warrior with the calcutta cup yes We were hoping to have a guest in every episode of this, but unfortunately the one that we did have scheduled for this episode, we won't give names out because hopefully they'll be able to come at a later date and we don't need to go through all that rigmarole. Yep. Our goal is to have a guest every episode, but some episodes we're just not going to succeed in doing that. And this is one of them. To be fair to this guest as well, this is one of the times where I kind of foisted the idea on them (laughs) more than they took a decision to pick one. I was like, I really want to talk about this match because when we talk about the silliness of rating things and we talk about the uh, attempt to provide some sort of objectivity to art, and you can't do it. Everyone's experience with art is always subjective. I went into this match watching it again, always sort of claiming in my head, this is one of my favourite wrestling matches ever. But it also being a very long time since I watched it. And I just want to refer to a text exchange that we had <laughs> about an hour ago. <laughs> Simon just sending me a text at ten past seven saying, This match is ridiculous. Simon, do you want to read my reply? Yep. You jump back in with, I know, isn't it brilliant? <laughs> and this is one of those things where I think I will defend this on an artistic front because I don't just like stuff because it's, well, I might like something because it's campy, but... I think the mistake a lot of people make when they rate and review works of art is they put it against a series of rules that they have just that covers everything. And I think you always need to rate a work of art against what it's trying to be. Mm. I think too often some people will say the WWF matches are crap because they don't have loads of moves and they don't have like the the wrestle a bit looser in their style or, or whatever. But that's like complaining about a lack of intricate 
guitar solos in a Spice Girls song. It's not what it's trying to be. Yeah. It's trying to be something else. And I think you've got to... Wanna be. Yes. I'll give you that one. What I'm saying is that, like, within the context of what WWF, I think, wants itself to be, the vision of wrestling that Vince McMahon had in his head at this time in wrestling, and that connected with an audience, I think that this match is one of the best examples of that. And I also think that this match, in so many ways, is ahead of its time. I feel like the operatic scale and the melodrama of it and the sense of it being part of a larger storyline and the the angle that takes place in the 10 minutes or so after the match makes this match even better because I feel like the match, this has to be part of the match as well. Mm -hmm. It's not just like a little extra feature for a DVD or a post-credits scene. The whole movie of the match is from from Bobby Heenan spotting someone in the crowd all the way to two last people that are in the ring leaving together. Yeah. That's what I say makes this a brilliant match, makes it one of my favourite matches, makes this, for what it's setting out to do, achieves everything that it sets out to do, and by its own metric is a five-star match. I don't know what Meltzer gave this match. I'd be shocked if he went over four because it was ultimate warrior (laughs) but it was also randy savage randy savage is a fascinating one to talk about and we'll talk about him more it's kind of crazy really how little we've talked about either the ultimate warrior or randy savage in all the years that we've we've done this podcast yeah as i've said they're number two and three to the the hulkamania era they're the equivalent of the rock and triple h in the attitude era as far as like how you rank i think that's partly with the rules we sort of like have put upon ourselves obviously usually upon ourselves i did yeah (laughs) (laughs) i'll give you this this is shakespearean theater (laughs) we are from where he came from stretching the parameters but yeah a bit obviously we, we've covered the five-star project and with match of the week we don't like repeating promotions randy savage does have a body of work which we could well have d- dived into outside of wwe ultimate warriors i mean there's there's some terrible matches in wcw and i have used a couple of match of the week selections for terrible matches on purpose but even i have my limits <laughs> <laughs> So what amount of experience do you have then with Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage? Because Hulk Hogan obviously carried on into your era of wrestling fandom. I guess you were getting into wrestling in 2002, so you were seeing really the last great run of Hulk Hogan, I assume, from him returning for the NWO through to WrestleMania 18 and then WrestleMania 19 and then a little bit of that Mr. America stuff, and then it it was never a regular on screen after that. The first WrestleMania I owned on DVD was 18, so I've seen that match a lot, and obviously that's Hogan. That's Hogan at his peak, really. Uh, not not his first peak, but in his second run in WWE, that's his peak. I think that that WrestleMania 18 match. And then, obviously, I've seen all the iterations of Hogan since. Hogan's always been, like, a legend that's just been, like, alluded to. He has, like, mystique. But I've seen him wrestle in, like, the modern era. So it takes a little bit of the shine off of Hogan. Whereas Warrior and Savage, I haven't seen any of their, like, second runs or much of their work beyond 
this golden era of them. Did you not catch Randy Savage's uh, amazing run in TNA? Pinning Jeff Jarrett with a roll-up. And I think that's pretty much all he did in that match. And I, I no desire to. Were you a fan of Bonesaw McGraw? Oh, Lord, he was great as uh, Bonesaw McGraw. He is a, I wouldn't say a caricature of a wrestler, but when people like do an impersonation of a wrestler, it is the bombastic macho man style promo that they, they cut. Yes. When people are doing a wrestler's voice... They're doing a sort of hybrid between Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Yeah. But to me, like, again, in terms of in-ring stuff, I hadn't seen a lot. So they, they hold a high level of mystique for me. I will give Dave Meltzer credit. He gave this match four and a quarter stars. Ooh. Now, for the Ultimate Warrior, that's that's Okada Omega Dominion. <laughs> that's how highly he's rating that. Not Misawa Kawada. <laughs> So that's your feeling on Randy Savage. How about your feelings towards the Ultimate Warrior then? A bit more... Generally, it's the same. However, there are... Well, both of them have aspects of their personal life which sort of take the shine off their character a bit. Whether it be Randy Savage's real-life behaviour towards Miss Elizabeth or whether it be Ultimate Warrior's view on people who have different sexualities to him i mean we, we go obviously his reputation now seems somewhat rehabbed by his untimely death and his promo and speeches in the weekend before but there were he, he wasn't all sunshine and rainbows the ultimate warrior and neither was randy savage it's so funny that the way that the wwe portrays its current and ex-employees there's no one who's gone on probably as wide a shift as the Ultimate Warrior did. Yeah. They literally released a DVD that's just taking a shit on him for the whole time. They never went that far with Hogan or Randy Savage. Mm. I mean, they were going to do that with Bret Hart. I think quite soon after the self-destruction DVD came out. Yeah. And it feels like maybe Bret taking part in it was because of the self-destruction dvd i think it was and i think power slam alluded to that at the time actually and was that also maybe just vince mcmahon strategizing that way to do it because it was announced it was going to be called screwed the bret hart story yeah and then it became bret hart the best there is the best there was the best there ever will be a triple dvd set you will not be surprised to say for me to say i can literally see right now opposite me <laughs> in my recording setup but this is what i will say about the ultimate warrior and this is a theory i think that might surprise some people i think the ultimate warrior might be more responsible or as responsible for the overwhelming demographic of wrestling fans that you know there's like a balloon in demographics like population demographics like right now the because of the baby boomers the percentage of the age range of the population sort of fluctuates and the boomers the baby boomers are the ones that are like the largest demographic basically yeah gen x millennial gen z none of them are as large a percentage ever of the culture and I think with wrestling, not going to say something about the fan base and uh, being of a ballooning size in proportions, but if you look at the age demographic of so many of the people that are into wrestling, I fall pretty much slap bang right in there. By a weird coincidence, my age 
corresponds with the WrestleManias. Now, I'm reaching the point now where I'm kind of embarrassed to say that <laughs> on multiple levels. <laughs> At the point that I will probably stop even stating that as a fact come WrestleMania 47 or something. No, I don't know who told you that. It's a lie. It's a barefaced lie. <laughs> but that demographic is therefore too young to have really experienced that first wave of Hulkamania. Mm. That 84 to 87, 88 run, that run to WrestleMania 3. Because I think that maybe more significant to the fan base, at least it was for me, you can read about it in my book, Confessions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, the first chapter of that book, which is about my introduction to pro wrestling, it was through the Hulk Hogan Ultimate Warrior match at WrestleMania 6. Not watching the match, but being told about the match. Mm. And the presentation of the Ultimate Warrior is one that just will always grip a small child, I think. Because it's so wild, and it's so crazy, and it's so animalistic instinctual, like id-like almost. Yeah. Whereas Hulk Hogan, there is almost a layer of, not irony, but there's a layer of humanity to it almost, I suppose. That's not there with the Ultimate The Ultimate Warrior is literally a comic book superhero brought to life. Hulk Hogan is too, but Hulk Hogan's colour scheme is so basic. Red and yellow. Mm. That's all that Hulk Hogan is. Now, if you give a kid a bunch of crayons, they're not just going to use red and yellow. No. You ask a kid to draw something, they're going to use the colour scheme that the Ultimate Warrior is rocking in this match with his multicolored rainbow face paint rainbow yeah everything and to be fair and it's funny when you look at the and so i didn't see like version 1.0 of the ultimate warrior who's just like doing the circuits on the sea shows having matches with hercules hernandez and a couple Mm. of other lower carb muscle bound blokes stinking the jointer a big e special big beefy men slapping meat yeah but somehow making that boring I mean, the, you look at Ultimate Warrior's WrestleMania debut, it's at WrestleMania 4 against Hercules. They don't even put him in the world title tournament. Mm. It's just two muscly guys that... Hercules was an okay enough worker, I suppose. Definitely the better worker out of the two. But if your better worker in that match is Hercules and Andes... You're not on a great footing, are you? Not really, no. no. The, the best worker in that whole situation is Bobby the Brain Heenan on the outside. I mean, that's true in a lot more cases than we want it yeah. to be, but that's Obviously. just <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I was to say, if you were to, can you to make that list of, like, the top ten biggest stars of the... or the top ten most important people of the Hulk Hogan Golden Age, after Hogan, Randy Savage, Ultimate Warrior, Andre the Giants, I think you could very easily make the case for Bobby Heenan to be number five, number six. Yep. He's up there with, well, obviously Roddy Piper as well. But Bobby Heenan's in Angrilla Monsoon, to be fair to both of them, are are a big part of why I love this match as well. Oh, yeah. That, I mean, they are a great pairing. So I think the Ultimate Warrior drew in a fan base that was younger, and because the the show was more established and wrestling uh, by that point was the WWF and that was kind of it and maybe also WCW and WCW at that point was kind of like those knockoff secondhand mm. imitation I always used to say instead of you getting for, if you got a WCW video instead of a WWF video for Christmas it was like asking for a Star Wars lightsaber and getting a 
galaxy conflict laser sword. <laughs> <laughs> and Sting was almost like the version of the Ultimate Warrior in that regards. Until until Renegade came along. Yeah. <laughs> Ironic considering they were a tag team. So the Ultimate Warrior, I think, because when I look at the age demographics, I think... Obviously, Hulk Hogan will always be perceived as the biggest star. When I wrote the book again, like the most of the first chapter of the book was kind of trying to describe why Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior stand out to a child and why it got me interested. Just the names were enough to get me interested. Oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan against the Ultimate Warrior. What do those sound like to a six-year-old and what do they see? Yeah. And then the Ultimate Warrior do like acting like a hyperactive child when he makes his entrance, usually... Running to the ring, running around the rope, screaming, pumping his fists, pumping his arms, having an even more ridiculous physique than Hulk Hogan. Because the funny thing when you look back at Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's physique, I imagine, wasn't even the sort of physique Vince McMahon particularly liked. He, like, tolerated it. Mm. But Hulk Hogan was never about definition or anything. There was bulk. He always had to have the trunks over the belly button to disguise a little bit of a... Podge. Not a paunch, but, you know, <laughs> just the way that he was built. Yeah. It was like that. Well, not everyone can have a six-pack. It's It's... Whereas Ultimate Warrior comes from a bodybuilder background and has that physique. It's so sculpted. You know someone's physique is properly sculpted. I noticed this with Zac Efron in The Iron Claw. If when they breathe out, you still see the contours of the abs. Yeah, that's a specific designed workout to get that exact set like image at that point. That's not for like power or anything like that. It's, it's just like... The glamour muscles, basically. And to go back to Randy Savage, what makes Randy Savage's uh, achievement in becoming as big a star as he is, without having as much of those physical gifts, maximum height Randy Savage ever was was six foot. Yeah. And when I look back on it, I suspect he maybe wasn't even that. Because what I didn't realise until there was a documentary done about Randy Savage was... The way he wrestled, he mostly wrestled on his toes. Mm. He, like, was always giving himself an extra inch or two. Now, with the Ultimate Warrior, who, whilst he's jacked, was only, in relative terms, six foot two. So the size, the height thing wasn't as big a deal. And obviously, he did the best he could to get himself as jacked as he could. Oh, yes. But what Randy Savage was able to do to make him seem like a viable threat to the much larger Hulk Hogan, you look at it... Hulk Hogan's top rival will probably always be Andre the Giant, but I think his number two rival, ahead of Ric Flair, ahead of certainly ahead of Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> ahead of Roddy Piper even, or Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, or Sting, was Randy Savage. And Randy Savage doesn't really have anything that, that, that would be the traditional heel, overwhelming, ed- you know, he's the opposite of what Andre is. He's smaller than Hogan. He's quicker than Hogan. He has to run around and he's a... And in late 1980s terms, he is a super worker. I think that Randy Savage was really the first guy that got to where he was in the main event against extenuating circumstances because of how hard he worked. Yeah. that He was doing the equivalent of the high spots of the mid-1980s, going off the top rope with double axe handles, double axe handles from the top rope to the outside, flying elbow drops, doing big bumps over the top rope, going that extra yard in putting his body on the line 
in order to further get over in the eyes of the crowd. And and using WrestleMania 3 to try to steal the show from Hogan Andre. Yeah. That being the first example, really, of the eternal debate. Work rate versus glamour. Well, yeah, is it quality or quantity? Yeah. As John said, is it the peop- is it the match that brought the people there? Or is it the match that got people hooked and want to go to see another wrestling show afterwards? We'll get more into that with our next episode. I, I motivate my team with donuts and the possibility of more donuts <laughs> to come. <laughs> but you get where I'm coming from. I do. Whilst, yeah. whilst Randy Savage was pushed very hard when he debuted in the WWF, and they repeated this storyline with Bam Bam Bigelow a year and a half later, was that Randy Savage was like, the equivalent of the hottest free agent, but they're not saying that as a means of saying he's come from another big promotion, but we don't want to say what name that promotion was. Yeah, This was a case of he was the guy that comes to the WWF and every manager wanted him because at that point, and this was how WWF operated and this is how territories operated back in the day. You had your manager as your mouthpiece and just as a quick shorthand for the crowd to know we're supposed to boo this guy because this guy's with classy Freddie Blassie or this guy's with Captain Lou Albano or this guy's with uh, Mr. Fuji Heenan or Bobby the Brain Heen and all of them come out and they're trying to win Randy Savage's services over and finally they all come to the ring after he has a match and he says I thank you all for your offers but I have my own manager and then Miss Elizabeth turns up and that's when the whole package sort of comes together and john lister said this perfectly i'd already thought this but i think this john verbalized this brilliantly that also another thing with randy savage with the wwf and why he makes wrestlemania special is that you can watch the wrestlemanias in chronological order and his story is one that is told through these wrestlemania chapters mm. wrestlemania 2 he's the evil conniving intercontinental champion that is also the jealous boyfriend of miss elizabeth and he's so jealous he can't see the innocence of George the Animal Steel's love for her. But it's not even like a creepy kind of love. It's just a... Platonic love. Yeah. But Randy Savage is driven crazy by it. And that's why they have their match. Year later, he's still the Intercontinental Champion. He's had this reign of terror. And he's taken out everyone that comes in his way, including Ricky Steamboat. But Ricky Steamboat finally overcomes Randy Savage with the help of George the Animal Steel. And that's on Rand- the end of Randy Savage's run with the Intercontinental title. Then, the WrestleMania after that, he's turned face over this time alongside Miss Elizabeth. Because Miss Elizabeth was never hated. Randy Savage was the jealous boyfriend. And we've all seen that storyline throughout our lives. Yep. And this time, he's seen the error of his ways because Elizabeth's able to call on the services of Hulk Hogan and they form the Mega Powers. And through a series of unexpected events in the Hulk Hogan, Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant debacle with the world title... Randy Savage ends up winning it (laughs) by going through four guys in the WrestleMania 4 tournament in one night, winning the world title, with Hulk Hogan there and him having Miss Elizabeth by his side as well, on his shoulder. And it's Elizabeth that brings Hulk Hogan out to even the odds against the interfering Andre the Giants and Virgil against Ted DiBiase in the final. WrestleMania 5, well, the good times had to come to an end eventually. That jealousy is still... Boiling underneath Randy Savage, and he's turned heel on Hogan, and he ends up losing everything. He loses Elizabeth, and he loses the world title. Mm. On the rebound, he hooks up with Sensational Sherry, gets even more grandiose in his ideas, and so becomes the macho king Randy Savage, and then loses to the loving couple of Dusty Rhodes and Sapphire in a mixed tag team match, and who does Dusty Rhodes bring out to be in their corner to really fuck with Randy (laughs) Savage's head? 
Elizabeth. And here we are another year later. Randy Savage tried to get the world title from Ultimaria. Ultimaria refused to give him the title shot. So Randy Savage cost him the title because Sergeant's thought said he'd get a title shot. But then Sergeant Thought tries to defend against Hulk Hogan. And instead, the, the Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, is like, one of us can't be here anymore. Yeah. <laughs> this has gone too far. And obviously, to give away the end, Randy Savage loses the match, loses his career. Now he's lost everything. He doesn't have the world title. He doesn't have his career. And Sensational Sherry, who's like, but Boardlines at times have turned this match into a handicap match. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the referee is very lenient. <laughs> Because she's lost her meal ticket, as Bobby Heedon puts it, she just starts beating the shit out of him as well after <laughs> he's just taken the beating of a lifetime. And then Riss Elizabeth, who's in the crowd because she knew how big a match this was, can't take it anymore because she still loves him. And that's the moment that Randy Savage sees her and realises she's not with Hogan. She's not with the guy with the belt. I've lost literally my whole career. There is nothing to do with wrestling that I can offer you. And you're still here for me. Yeah. And that's where he learns the error of his ways and they reunite. And then if you want to take the story on another year on, he gets reinstated. Ric Flair tries to, she was mine before she was yours, daddy. Yeah. Like Ric Flair literally was, there's no George the Animal Steel innocence in what Ric Flair's. No. <laughs> was it on the first, um, didn't they claim it was like one of the first early examples of not, not Photoshop, but like a predecessor to Photoshop and how the pictures were edited? Yeah, 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 you can argue that this is this gave a lot of horrible men ideas in the future. <laughs> and so you can continue on to the story at WrestleMania 8 that he gets Elizabeth back. He never doubts Elizabeth, but he takes umbrage to her honour being soiled by Ric Flair mm. and then takes the belt back. And that was one of my favourite calls. I mean, we could have done Ric Flair, Randy Savage for this as well, in theory, and that would have also been a good choice, maybe, if we do this again next year and we've got to do something for four to eight that's not seven. Eight. Maybe that would be a good one to go with. And I think it's the only time that they ever did this when the person wins the belts. Usually it's the winner of this bout. And new World Wrestling Federation. I think it's the only time Howard Finkel did this. The winner of this bout. And once again, World Wrestling You know, I said this before it was pointed out. I don't know if I ever said it to you. You made a movie out of wrestling, make it about the Von Eriks. If you made an opera about wrestling yeah make it about randy savage and miss elizabeth oh yeah i can easily <laughs> see that and look all of that's beautiful and all of that's fantastic and i am aware i am already aware of like the narrative arc of randy savage and stuff but it's so funny that it comes through wrestlemania's even not even that that was intentional to begin with but it's kind of like the old it's like the first instance of the undertaker's streak which starts at this wrestlemania as yes. well in the match just before this match so whilst one story was ending, another story was beginning just a, a few minutes earlier. God, it's really like seminal in a way. It's all great, like what you're saying, and it's all true what you're saying in terms of like the, the story arc. However, the match itself. What's your problem with the match, a piece of shit? Sorry, I, I got ahead of myself. <laughs> that tone worried me. Are you going to criticise the Ultimate Warrior for doing a flying tackle into nothing? Because the, uh, Randy Savage hasn't got up off his feet yet to properly no 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 no. i know what to expect from the ultimate warrior randy savage by the way absolutely fantastic in this match one of the things i've always said is the plug-in ability of a fan from the outside into a story and randy savage is so much the heel here that anyone 
who had just stumbled across this or was shown this on pay-per-view by their mate and this was their first experience of wrestling. Bang, I'm in. I know exactly who I'm meant to be cheering, exactly who I'm meant to be booing. I don't need the manager prop for that. I just need Randy Savage being a dick (laughs) throughout. And Sensational Sherry also plays a phenomenal part in this match in terms of how much she's a conniving scumbag. And I love it. I love every part of it. Do you know what makes that bit even more brilliant? A couple of matches later... Sherry does turn up ringside to offer her services to another wrestler who then she becomes the company, the valet, whatever you want to call it. Do you want to guess which wrestler that is? Uh, It's not Sean yet, is it? Because they're still the Rockers. It's the one that's in between Savage and Sean. Oh, I can never remember this one. Now you're going to have to put me out of my misery. Well, you'll know. You'll just... uh, Well, that just makes sense. Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Ah, yeah. Oh no, my meal ticket's gone. Oh, who who should I hang out with now? That man's literally got million dollars in his name. Ill dude. <laughs> she just saw him going out with the jacket with the dollar sign in gold glitter on it. Yeah. Like, ah, I think I know where to go now. My tiara is useless. If you could get the perfect camera angle, it could like cut to her, and that you could see her looking at him, but. The reflection of the dollar sign in her eyes. <laughs> cinema. Well, this is wrestling as cinema. I honestly do think that is the case with this match. And when we say to the point of exhaustion, to the point that I think we need to embargo saying this word anymore, but when we say epic epicness, this is really the first match of epic epicness, not in the scale of it, because that's obviously like Hogan Andre. Yeah. That was obviously Hogan, Mr. Wonderful. In a way, that was WrestleMania with all the celebrity involvement and everything. With this one, it's the start and the end of it all. It's a 40-minute epic from entrances to exits. It's got drama. It's got big characters, ridiculous, like all the colors of the rainbow on display. And it's also got huge kickouts of killer moves. (laughs) What had Randy Savage done? (laughs) I have to ask. (laughs) Well, it has huge in-ring spectacle and drama and, like, in-ring dialogue taking place. It's not as mic'd up as it would be in later years. Either consciously or unconsciously, I feel like this match is a reference point. You can do it on a line, on a trend line, from this match to the Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa matches on NXT. There are similar elements. There is a through line. Yes, from one end to the other. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I do get where you're coming from. But five elbow drops in a row. <laughs> I think the logic for that is that when they did book this match, Randy Savage was thinking of retiring. Because he and Elizabeth wanted to try for a kid. Mm. His physique significantly shrunk in between periods of time. Yeah, I think he had to get it out of his system, didn't he? He did want to try out stuff, but then, you know, five months down the line, they're running the angle at SummerSlam where Jake the Snake Roberts attacks them at their wedding reception <laughs> because he he left them a present of a snake in a box yep. and not in the fun Justin Timberlake kind no. of way. <laughs> Whether going into this match, they knew, but I think they would go. I think the logic was, I'm going out anyway. Might as well make the Ultimate Warrior look borderline invincible Mm. by having him kick out of five of my elbow drops which in return he does kick out of one gorilla press slam big splash combo yeah and only hulk hogan would have done that beforehand and 
Ultimate Warrior's entire psyche collapses. <laughs> oh, that's what's so amazing about this match. He's like, the referee's like, what, where are you going? Because he, he, he goes to walk off. <laughs> and the ref's like, what are you doing? <laughs> he kind of looks like how everyone with a brain looked like after Trump won yeah. in 2016. Like, like how is this reality... <laughs> <laughs> in existence what what's happened <laughs> but it does fit in with the ultimate warrior he was saying he was like this manifestation of all of these centuries of warriors that he almost like had some sort of weird pre-judeo-christian personal philosophy religion and that the god that he believed in for the first time ever he doubted but then randy savage tried to crush his throat against the guardrail so yeah. that kind of woke him up again why have you forsaken me and what i will also say is that the sound that randy savage makes when he goes into that guardrail yeah that would make you want to retire anyway. Oh, yeah. Whatever it was that did that to him. Uh, you, you could tell um, he's just on the top rope and he's like, I'm so glad I won't have to do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> What's so funny about that as well is that um, he kicks out of the Gorilla Press Slam and Splash, but there is obvious that sense of like, that was my last bit of energy I had left. It was almost, weirdly, to go from one end of the spectrum of saying this was like WWF wrestling at its most WWF, you can argue that then the follow-up finish is like something out of a, a Four Pillars of Heaven All Japan main event. King's Road, baby. It ain't all King's Road. It's like, after all those tiger drivers and head drops, Masawa finally beats the Kawada with an elbow. Yep. Ultimate Warrior just keeps shoulder-tackling Randy Savage so that he slumps to the outside. Uh, I don't know which of the two it is, but they when they kept going, Spear! I'm like, it's not a spear! It's not a spear! In fairness, the term spear, it's like, you know, I was, that didn't mean what it meant in 1991. Ah, uh, I'm a child of the attitude here. I know what a spear is. But it is so, you know, it is proper stop, he's already dead. Yeah. <laughs> and again, oh, Randy Savage not only allowing himself to hit his finisher five times and not win the match. Yeah. He then gets pinned with one foot on him. Oh. And Bobby Heenan can't quite believe that that's going to be the finish. <laughs> anyway, he's just talking and suddenly mid-sentence, the third hit of the man, he goes, Oh my God! <laughs> Which I think makes it even better. Yeah. Um, and a lot, again, those two. Everyone played their part really well in this match, I will say that. And it's like the criticism that people have against the Ultimate Warrior as a worker is he didn't know a wrist lock from a wristwatch. And he didn't. Just look at those Hercules matches. There's a reason that in all his great matches, they happen to be against guys who are either super workers or know how to cater to the Ultimate Warrior and what he does. So yeah. it's Randy Savage. It's Rick Rude. It's arguably Hulk Hogan. Hogan, Hogan. I mean, we spoke about it last episode. Hogan knows how to work around limitations. Yeah. And so if Ultimate Warrior... Sort of takes directions of like what he can do, and they work around that. And so the Osmari doesn't do anything crazy, but he he makes fascinating choices. He always had that with his presentation. You see how much work he put into it, all the colours. And the Ultimate Warrior's look evolves over time. He's very basic at the start when mm. he's coming in as the Dingo Warrior. Usually the face paint's like one colour. Maybe one colour and a, a black outline or a white outline. And then he adds a third colour to it. And then suddenly by the time he's he's at WrestleMania 6, he's got multicoloured face paint. He has special paint for WrestleMania 6 on his chest. Yeah. He wears jackets designed just for this event. Nowadays, it's like every 
Johnny Gargano costume was a reference to some sort of superhero movie. Yeah. Rey Mysterio wore a different costume for every WrestleMania. Seth Rollins is always doing stuff that's like Game of Thrones referencing or whatever else it is that he's Thanos or whatever. Ultimate Warrior is kind of the first person who's doing that. He wears this ring jacket designed specifically for this match. He wears trunks with the WWF title belt covered up painted on them because that was what randy savage took from him but he was like this is even more important also trying to say we all know what the real main event is <laughs> tonight and i'm gonna go out and prove it to you because he's basically had his time at the top taken away from him yeah and they've put it back on the guy that was supposed to pass the torch to him at the previous wrestlemania <laughs> it's not the first time that's gonna happen and it's not the last it's all like he does have a lot of influence over professional wrestling i mean uh, Batista, Batista's come out and said that he's the reason he shakes the ropes for the Batista bomb. Is the Ultimate Warrior? Both CM Punk and Brian Danielson have cited the Ultimate Warrior as a major influence on them, mm. and, and a wrestler that they rate highly as an in-ring performer. They're not going to him for the tips on how to execute mat wrestling. He's going to William Regal for that. Yeah. But for doing things in the ring that are just unexpected and, and, and doing something specific to this match, like he's not just wrestling. Um, and, and like I said, like every wrestler pretty much just had their set get up that they wore. Hulk Hogan never wore specific unusual trunks to the ring. He always wore yellow and red, except for the first few years where he was going through a variety of colors before they finally settled on yellow and red just being his default. Randy Savage would change up his looks, but there would only be only so much to it. It's more his trunks and his jacket. Yeah, Randy Savage was the closest thing to a similar Ultimate Warrior level of detail in the presentation. Yeah. And glit- and obviously Bret Hart would have fun over the years, but it was still that basic pink and black. Whereas Ultimate Warrior, Ultimate Warrior never had a set colour scheme. Yeah. And he would change his hair over time. He'd put in the blonde highlights. He'd muss it up and everything. And when he became WF champion, then he would wear different belt colours. Mm. He famously had the light blue version when he lost it to Sergeant Slaughter. It was sort of a purple, pinkish hue to it. Because in those days, there was a certain amount of back and forth in the in the character presentation. It wasn't as rigidly set at, at that point. Yeah. So the ultimate, it was the Ultimate Warrior's idea to have the blue belt. It would have been the Ultimate Warrior's idea to have that spray paint on his trunks. I wonder if, like management even knew that was what he was going to wear going into that match so yeah really thanks for undermining our main event there warrior (laughs) i mean they kind of did that themselves (laughs) so yeah i just and and just these choices he's making the match as we say like looking to the skies or catching randy savage when he comes in for a cross body and everyone's always going to power something he just puts him on his feet and slaps him across the face because it's as much to just get inside his yeah. head as it is. And the idea of the Ultimate Warrior, you think of as this id-like animalistic creature, but there's actual thought. The fact that he knows this is a match so important that I can't expend the energy that I usually do for running down the entrance ramp is the one and only time that I can think of during the Ultimate Warrior. And Heenan loses his mind. It's like, who is that? Is that the Ultimate Warrior? Why is he not running? He actually questions his, like, identity. Bobby Heenan does, yeah. yeah. And then he just does it a little bit when he gets into the ring and runs around the ropes to, like, get into Randy Savage's head. But there's those thoughts into, like, what's gonna, what am I going to do that's special in this match that makes it work? Now, obviously, one of the big criticisms of Randy Savage in particular was that, like, every single spot in his matches were mapped out ahead of time. He did not call things in the ring. No. He was like, you'll do this, you'll do that, you'll do this, you'll do that. Like, he had every single bit mapped out. It's why Ricky Steamboat, even he has kind of... That's his problem with the WrestleMania 3 match. It's like 
Randy made me memorize this whole match out move for move. It's probably one of the reasons that arguably the greatest rivalry Randy Savage had outside of the WWF was with Diamond Dallas Page, mm. the man who was as close to his mindset as well. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons that Goldberg match slapped so much because uh, yeah, Diamond Dallas like took him to that level and and did that with him. So why do you seem to be at odds with you seem to be very ambivalent towards this match that there's so much of it you love but so much of it that not necessarily you hate but i get from your tone that it's like the this is like you you don't want to be but you feel like you're about to be toto pulling the curtain across and revealing the man behind the (laughs) wizard i just think i think i just don't have that much emotional attachment to it that you do i think that's ultimately what it boils down to because i mean you've cited the gagano champa matches and i had an emotional attachment to those and there is there is if i'm being objective a lot of overlap but i i I was just in the story at the time again objectively the people who are in the story at the time, they elicit an incredible emotional response. It does do its job incredibly well. It's just, I respect it for what it is, but I just don't feel it the same way you feel it. I guess it's hard to. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have a soul. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it, to me it's it's a bit like when someone retells a great anecdote and it just doesn't hit the same the second time. It's not that it's not great; it's just you. Ha- it's a, you had to be there. I feel. Yeah, is it like watching a kids TV show that's very well made, but you aren't seeing it for the first time as a kid? Yeah. And because you're not a parent, you you appreciate Bluey for what it is, but it doesn't make you weep tears. <laughs> like either my, joy or like, frustration, yeah. Like people I know have done watching Bluey. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this does have huge emotional attachment to me because, like, this was the first WrestleMania where I was conscious of what WrestleMania was. It's like, it's hard to pinpoint but I think this might have been genuinely one of the first wrestling matches I ever watched. I can't quite put my finger on what I saw when and where at what points in my introduction to wrestling, because a lot of my introduction to wrestling was through magazines, through going to my cousin Matthews Mm. and going through his wrestling magazines. And I remember reading, he didn't have the WWF magazine that covered WrestleMania 6, so WrestleMania 6 continued to hold this like mythic status in my head because it was just... Like, Matthew's recounting of it, and then me seeing photos of it from, like, a third-party magazine, not an official WF magazine. And, like I said, I didn't I didn't get videos at that point as a Christmas present, and my cousin didn't have Sky or Cable, but, like, his mate's neighbour did, or whatever. So it was, like, yeah. three steps it would go before it came to me. So, for me, a lot of this stuff was through the magazines. And I do remember pouring over my cousin's copy of the WF magazine that was covering WrestleMania 7. I even remember that, like, it was the first time I think they'd done it, because they would do, like, an eight, ten-page spread covering every match, summing it up, what happened, pictures of the match. And I remember, it must be maybe an early point of, like, what they could do with Photoshop editing, because it was, like, they cut out images from the match and they'd be like independent of the photo so it'd be like i remember it was like one of the nasty boys having bret hart in a camel clutch or something along those lines but it wasn't like a photo of it it was like a cutout of just that them doing that move on like the side of the page not with the regular photo spread on top of it so it was it's weird just these little because it's just like the first time i'd seen a photo like that yeah 
<laughs> you know, the first time I'd seen a magazine spread like that. And again, just the vibrancy of the colours and the, the, the height of the emotion, the soap opera element to it. And the fact that you were seeing, like, in these stories all built around big, huge, larger-than-life guys with, like, no real, almost no trace of a humanity to them. That was what made Miss Elizabeth stand out so much because she looked so real. Yeah. And, like, she was beautiful, but almost... I always said she's, like, halfway between a glamorous Hollywood starlet and the teacher in reception that that you all oh, yeah, liked, yeah. but you didn't, you know? You didn't you know, know it was like, why. Yeah, it was like a beauty between those two poles. Somewhere in the middle of that was what Miss Elizabeth looked like. Yeah. To like a seven-year-old. I haven't yet had that moment of seeing Cameron Diaz in the mask and changing what <laughs> a woman meant. Or Jet from Gladiators. Or Catherine Zeta-Jones in The Darling Buds of May. Those were like my pivotal three. But before then, it was like a friend of my mom's and it was Miss Elizabeth. Yeah. Uh, you know, those were the ones that were like... Lorcan's Mount Rushmore of horniness. <laughs> you think Mount Rushmore's big? Uh, <laughs> Senator, I'd like to drill for oil in Teddy Roosevelt's head. <laughs> That's not oil. <laughs> you show this man a picture of uh, Cameron Diaz in the in a red dress. Hey, bored a hole down into the depths. <laughs> Look, we need you for this fracking operation. If anyone's going to find anything, it's him. <laughs> That took a turn. <laughs> uh, it's all just dry and arid down there. Story of my life. Uh, <laughs> and now the tap's on fire. Fantastic. Uh, see, this is why we need guests. <laughs> <laughs> I crave structure! But then you look at those faces on... I mean, you didn't just, like, turn it on for the bell ringing and turn it off for the three counters. You watched the... Oh, I did. Randy Savage stuff afterwards. So you saw all the fans in the crowd. That blonde lady who is weeping. She's one of those unfortunate ones that she probably is 18 years old, but because of her hair and the way she's dressed, she looks like she's a woman that's been (laughs) gone through a marriage and this was a reminder that love does exist out there. But I do love that. That a wrestling show can evoke that kind of an emotion. And I respect them wholeheartedly for eliciting that response. I don't know if WWF have reached that kind of a response in that way since then. They've had sort of tongue-in-cheek romances since then. I mean, Matt Hardy and Lita snogging for the first time caused girls in the crowd to weep, but it was not because of the power of love. It was because their poster doesn't quite mean as much anymore. Yeah, my formative rivalries as a WWE fan was the opposite end of the spectrum. It was Edge versus Matt Hardy after Edge shafted him. Well. Not just him. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the first tapes I got uh, recorded for me was Unforgiven 2005, that cage match. So maybe it's just that I, I was uh, my one of my formative moments as like a true blue WWE fan was based on like hatred and loss rather than love. 
it is fascinating, really, that you can argue that Miss Elizabeth is one of the very few women in the WWF that, for the most part, was treated with respect. And objectified, but not in a gross way, for the most part. I mean, actually, if you want to watch when Miss Elizabeth makes her big entrance when she's unveiled as Randy Savage's manager, Vince McMahon on commentary, he's really on that line. And boy, oh boy, does Mean Gene... Mean Gene, in hindsight, is like... We're almost seeing workplace violations Uh. on a regular basis. Right, this shit doesn't fly. There's a reason we don't have Mean Gene's backstage anymore. As brilliant as he was. Yeah. In his capacity at that time. I mean, when people look back at Randy Savage stuff, they're as likely to go back to clips of him with Mean Gene Oakland oh, yeah. balancing little cups of cream on his head. <laughs> but again, it's just that's just uh, like with the Ultimate Warrior with his f- extra efforts with the, the colors and the doing weird, interesting stuff in the ring and his promos, as crazy as they are within his brain, works on that logic. That was the same with Macho Man Randy Savage. His, his promos were great. I mean, Macho Man... It's so weird, like, what is his gimmick? His gimmick is essentially halfway between the jerk boyfriend, but he's also just a madman. Yeah. <laughs> his, his, his gimmick, he's crazy. Coked up jock. <laughs> I guess, but I don't even know if it's a jock element to it. There's ultra jealousy to it. And that's the other thing, like, if you look at it, the morality of the story, essentially throughout the whole of the Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth first run, where Randy Savage is a heel, but with Miss Elizabeth. is Miss Elizabeth is kind of like that girlfriend that says, no, you don't know the real him. When he's on his own, he's very sweet and kind. <laughs> I was going to make a Trevor and Little Mo comparison from EastEnders, but that's a bit dark, especially considering real-life circumstances. Yeah, obviously, yeah, the real-life element of it. It's quite ironic, I suppose, that when they were doing the big reunion on screen was also when the relationship was at its most frayed point in real life and ended within a year and a half of them doing this angle at WrestleMania 7. Randy Savage loses a career match and realises without the world title, Miss Elizabeth still loves him. Without his career, Miss Elizabeth still loves him. A year and a half from now, he's defending the world title at SummerSlam 92, having announced his divorce from Miss Elizabeth against the Ultimate Warrior. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I guess that is the sad thing about wrestling, that you can tell all these great stories, and Cody Rhodes can say, I'm going to finish my story, but then there's day two of another story. Yeah. You genuinely can't finish a story in wrestling. I guess maybe, again, that's why people loved, loved the wrong word about it, but thought there was like a poetic beauty to the Ultimate Warrior dying the day after what he said, mm. or the day of what he said. But as I said at the time, like one of my few times I go online and properly moralize is like, no, that's not romantic. Just what's all that's happened tonight is uh, two kids have lost their dad yeah. and a woman's lost her husband. And subsequent to that, a company has used his image to further their own public image and completely undo what he asked them to do yep. with what they created. Yep. <sighs> Shit houses. <laughs> mm. but... Which... I mean, I don't want to give the. I don't think is. I don't think you have to be fair to the WWE, but the last Hall of Fame they did do the first Warrior Award as the Warrior could have wanted it. Yeah, maybe that was the final straw that broke the camel's back and made Vince come back and say, "I'm going to fuck everything up." <laughs> <laughs> Respecting techies, that's too far. <laughs> maybe we'll be able to talk about that more in the future. Yeah, but yeah. 
in in this present, looking at the past. I will. No, I will. I will defend WWE on one thing. Shad did deserve it that year. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Yeah. yeah, but he deserved a different award, not the award that the Warrior Award was meant to be—an award that they can do for something else. But well, then maybe make maybe they need to make that award then. But the Shad Gaspard Award of Humanity or Heroism? Oh I mean, yeah. Why don't they do that? Because they're not going to sell toys, retro toys of Shag Gaspard. Because their idea for this guy's gimmick was to have an ironic criminal uh, gangster. So let's not get into all that. Yeah, but, bless him. Also, read JTG's book. That That's a good book. But yeah, WrestleMania 7, it's so... It's sort of the beginning of the end, I suppose, for WWF as a large-scale cultural phenomenon. And that was so funny that this was when people like me were getting into it and... They were able to carry that over to have successes in the UK. I mean, the Ultimate Warrior means enough in this country that 30 years after this match happens, John Richardson can put a TV show on that's called The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. And that that's an acceptable title to give a show on the assumption that people will know what's meant by that pun. (laughs) That's incredible, really. I mean, maybe we should have asked John Richardson to be on this episode, see if he would have talked about it. Because it seems that maybe a young John Richardson was also enraptured by this story. Maybe in a future episode of Meet the Richardsons, he and Lucy Beaumont uh, <laughs> will be recreating this pose. Although I can't imagine no. little five foot six John Richardson having the uh, strength yeah. to hold as petite a lady as Lucy Beaumont is. <laughs> But obviously, Randy Savage, I mean, Randy Savage was the other end of it with Ultimate Warrior. It was like, it's not that we're going to diss him. We aren't going to talk about him. Yeah. And obviously, there's all sorts of legends and that, I mean, rumors yeah. about that that we'll never know the truth to. And I always get kind of disgusted when the fans do did do that stuff. And we'll do a whole, we need to do a whole episode about that element of wrestling. Yeah. At some point, and the person that that's directed to. But... I do think that it's funny that Randy Savage did, like, a few months before his untimely passing, he did do that promo for Legends or something. I don't know if it was for a 2K game, like, because that was what brought the Ultimate Warrior back. He did the 2K adverts. Yeah. But that was, like, independent of WWE, and it was, again, the same with Randy Savage. But maybe that was going to be the first step to him getting his Hall of Fame induction. Mm. And his, I guess, I don't know if that point if DVD things even meant anything anymore. But that would have been amazing to see a Randy Savage. Because, like, I can't remember if we said this before the record <laughs> in the first yeah. attempt or the second attempt. When people do an imitation of a pro wrestler, they're doing Randy Savage, essentially. Yep. Yep. Randy Savage mixed with Hulk Hogan, but more Randy Savage than it is Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. There's probably elements of the Ultimate Warrior in there as well. Oh, yeah, the whole over-the-top thing that people associate 80s wrestling with. It's these two. Yeah, wrestlers with painted faces is something that like people who know next nothing about wrestling will put into yeah. like a presentation of it in a show. I'm sure when Simpsons have shown wrestling, I know there's one where there's like a Randy Savage-esque figure in there. I'm sure that there's like Ultimate Warrior characters. I remember there was the children, Royal Children's Variety Performance. Mm. And there was a wrestling sh- match in it, and one of the people in it was painted like the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah. With the tassels and the wild hair and everything. I always describe the Ultimate Warrior in my... Well, there's a few ways I describe the Ultimate Warrior in my book. One of the ways I described him was looking like what a particularly sadistic younger brother might do to one of his uh, older sister's 
beloved Barbie. Oh, yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And the other way, the analogy I did use, which I don't agree with in hindsight, but I was trying to explain why Hulk Hogan had that longevity and why come WrestleMania 7, they've like, we made the mistake, let's put the belt back on Hogan. Mm. I described Hulk Hogan compared to the Osmo Warrior is like Queen, the band Queen, compared to the crazy frog uh-huh. and i don't think that's fair because that implies there's like no artistic merit in the ultimate warrior if you look at the ultimate warriors pay-per-view singles record yeah not just his win-loss record but like the quality of the matches there's a surprisingly high level of quality for the reputation he has as a wrestler again most of those matches are against rick rude and hulk hogan randy savage but he's a terrible in-ring technician and for the longest time that was basically how you defined a pro wrestler yeah but as a pro wrestler in the 1990s, he's one of the best. Yeah. In a weird way. He elicits a response. Was Ted DiBiase able to get close to what the Ultimate Warrior meant to fans with his Million Dollar Man gimmick? Yes. Could the Ultimate Warrior replicate what Ted DiBiase was able to do in Mid South and All Japan? No. no. So if you like, if you add them all up, all the merits of what makes a great wrestler a great wrestler, Ted DiBiase far outstrips the Ultimate Warrior. But if I was a wrestling promoter in 1991 WWF. I put the Ultimate Warrior right up there on the main event scene. Oh, yes. And maybe Ted DiBiase only is, like, third biggest match on the card, which he was at WrestleMania 7. But let's do a little bit more on the event itself. I mean, how much of the event do you know? Because it's also interesting is that this is the last WrestleMania that essentially follows the formula that was created somewhat in WrestleMania 3, where it was this super card with a lot of matches. Like, WrestleMania 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are like 13, 14 match cards. From WrestleMania 8 onwards, they become a lot more select. There are a lot fewer matches that are allowed to go on a bit longer. So looking at the times of these matches, it's like 10 minutes, 3 minutes, 8 minutes, 12 minutes, 8 minutes, 4 minutes. This match at 20 minutes, 47 seconds, the longest match on the card. Then it's 4 minutes, 10 minutes, 3 minutes, 1 minute. Seven minutes, one minute, then Hogan beats Sergeant Slaughter also in 20 minutes. I mean, they pack a lot in these 20 minutes as well. Oh, yeah. The other big matches on this card, the Rockers beat the Barbarian Haku in the opening match. Texas Tornado, Kerry Von Erich made his one and only WrestleMania appearance, beating Dino Bravo. The British Bulldog recently returned to the WWF, bigger than ever. Taking on, they're having the Ultimate Warrior Hercules Hernandez match on the undercard as he takes on the Warlord. Ugh. The Nasty Boys beat the Heart Foundation, which was the last big match of the Heart Foundations. After that, they were split up again. Jim Neidhart was tried around on commentary and other things, whereas Bret Hart was put into the singles division, which they promised him several times already, and he got the big match the next pay-per-view at SummerSlam against Mr. Perfect. Uh, Jake the Snake Roberts beat Rick Martell in a blindfold match. Another match that has a real wide range of opinions. That genuinely is a match that I've considered doing for Match of the Week. Yeah. Or would have been another good match to do on this series as well. Then we have The Undertaker beating Jimmy Snooker. 1-0. I don't know if he'll be able to improve upon that. We'll have to wait and see. Then it was this match. And it's also funny, when I look back in hindsight, because I also watched like the next 5-10 to 10 minutes whilst I was setting up. One of the celebrity bits where they have Regis Philbin and Alex Trebek backstage interviewing different wrestlers. Like, he's interviewing The Undertaker and Paul Bearer, looking suspiciously unaffected by the match that happened only a few, like, half an hour early. Mm. Uh, I wonder if that was a recording out of order kind of mistake. And The Undertaker and, and Paul, Paul Bearer weren't saying anything. The Undertaker was just measuring 
<laughs> Regis Philbin is saying 29. Well, thank you. I've never been so complimented in my life. Not like that. <laughs> Two and a half. Well, it's still a compliment for me. <laughs> and Trebek was interviewing first Demolition and then Jake the Snake Roberts. Mm. Uh, Alex Trebek was interviewing Tenru and Kitao, who didn't understand what he was saying. Uh. <sighs> But this was Tenru just after he left All Japan and formed uh, Super World of Sports. Okay. Which had that relationship with WWF and they did a tour of Japan soon after this. Big Boss Man beat Mr. Perfect by DQ in an Intercontinental title match. Earthquake beat Greg the Hammer Valentine, recently face turned Greg the Hammer Valentine. Legion of Doom beat Power and Glory in 59 seconds. Oh dear. Virgil beat Ted DiBiase by count out with Roddy Piper on, a, on crutches helping him in the match and Roddy knows how to make stuff about him <laughs> but it's a it's a good precursor to their even better match at SummerSlam 91 uh, the Mountie beat Tito Santana in 1 minute 21 seconds and then Hogan beat Sanjay Slaughter so this was the last one where it was like that style after that yeah. it was like 8 matches so it was a bit more select. it wasn't like cramming in as much of the roster as he had, can and also to be fair I think the roster was starting to diminish over time as well as you know they're having to tighten up the purse strings and everything. And WCW grows in strength as well. Well, not so much that. They tried to change things up and, and celebrity involvement was starting to change at this point as well. It was more like a backstage. It was also funny like what Vince McMahon's idea of celebrities were. It wasn't like top recording artists or anything. They had had that with Run DMC a couple of years earlier, but this was just like quiz show hosts and morning show hosts. Maybe it's who they could get. It's also the people that... 40-year-old Vince McMahon would have grown up watching. I suppose. On the telly, really. But to be fair to Alex Trebek and Regis, they are probably... They're in the spirit of it as well. They both do good jobs as, like, stand-ins for Sean Mooney and me, Gene Oakland. They're not above it. They play with the fun of the show. Oh, yeah. No. But yeah, uh, this is the last thing I wanted to say. Did you notice who was in the front row for WrestleMania 7? I did not, no. Taking in this match? No. A certain... He'd he'd hosted a couple of the WrestleManias only a a couple of years earlier. A certain Donald Trump, future Hall of Famer. All I'll say, he was really enjoying when Ted DiBiase was beating up Virgil in front of him. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, we've said... This is the first wrestling president is who have and he did love wrestling. He saw something in it. He may have struggled to understand the Ted DiBiase and so why is she still in love with him? He's he's lost everything and she still loves him. I don't get that at all. Uh. Boo! I don't know why everyone else is cheering. Boo! <laughs> <laughs> but what can you do? What can you do? Hey. Somebody give me that Sherry's number. There's something about her. Something about her I really like. Oh. But yeah, this was just chaos. As we said, like the first 10 minutes is basically a handicap match. Sherry is so good. Oh, yeah. In this. Phenomenal performer. It's so funnily structured as well. There's no. It's not like a traditional babyface shine, heel beatdown, comeback. Even the Ultimate Warriors powering up was like slower. To me, it felt like this was bigger than any world title match. It really did feel like everything's on the line here and it made sense that even the randy savage was able to kick out of a finishing move yeah and, you know and as i say like now that's commonplace sort of tough, yeah commonplace now but it's like instead of it being non-workers like the ultimate warrior it's 
people like Johnny Gargano and Kenny Omega yeah. and Will Ospreay and Triple H and Shawn Michaels that are yelling at each other in the ring. <sighs> so that makes it good. What would you do? I, I just think the whole thing is five stars for me. For what it's meant to be, it's five stars for what it aspired to be. Um, Mid four, four and a half. Four and a half, I'd say. That's just me. Like, again... I was watching it again, and I was like, wow, this is kind of crazily disjointed. Yeah. And there are some moves that don't hit right. But there are also, like I said, that the, the double axe handle to the guardrail. <laughs> Sounds like that. Is, that's brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. This isn't a retirement match. We didn't book it as a retirement match. It's a, it's retirement, a retirement match, match. now. <laughs> I can taste blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, I just love this match, and I still love it. I love everything about and it. And that's fair enough. I don't think that wrestling... I don't know that wrestling has achieved what this did that made people feel in a way. I don't think wrestling's made people feel this kind of way. I, I, I get, I, I get I, what you Can you think of a better love story in wrestling? I, I no. would put this above most love stories in rom-coms. Yeah. Uh, this is wrestling's The Notebook, and is better than The uh, I mean, I'll take your word for it. I've not seen The Notebook. I haven't seen The Notebook either, but... <laughs> hey, rare for you. I know it means something to <laughs> <Yeah>. him. <laughs> oh, dear. This is wrestling's Twilight, Nude Moon, Breaking Dawn Part 2. <laughs> hey! I'll tell you what I would love to see this, though. Like, I would love to see them do this, but it'd be two blokes that do this at oh. the end. I don't know if... I, I still don't think the wrestling world could quite pull that off in the way it needs to. It's very much a gay president in 2084. Realistic, realistic. yeah. I could see, I think AEW could do it. I think it'd be amazing. I genuinely want to see it. I think that'd be the only thing that could top it. Like, and that'd be... I, I do think someone should do that. One of AEW or WWE should have the guts yeah. to tell a love story through wrestling. Unfortunately, there was a promotion that was trying to do different things and they did do a storyline about a wrestler coming out as gay. Uh, unfortunately, that wrestler was Joey Ryan. Uh, so we can't... Never mind. Well, I mean, we, we kind of... Had, I guess, actually, yeah, the closest we came to that was Omega Ibushi, wasn't yes. it? Yes. With them hugging after Cody Rhodes, the uh, Don Callis described him as. He's a, an egomaniacal pansexual. <laughs> Which they haven't played into yet. Yeah. <laughs> on WWE TV. <sighs> Maybe one day. Now, normally, we would ask our guest what a realistic dream WrestleMania match would be. Now, virtual straws were drawn, and... I told you what we were doing. Uh, yes. <laughs> Where's the pageantry? <laughs> but yeah, I just thought we, if we do get cancellations, we can always do them. But I genuinely haven't been able to think of mine yet. Yeah. So I just set you the task now and so just to reiterate the rules of this this is an ideal scenario but abstract time travel cannot happen so it is something that could have happened in reality but you can't have like a prime like 32 year old bret hart against a prime 32 you can't pluck bret hart from wrestlemania 8 out i know he wasn't 32 wrestlemania 8 shut up but you can't pluck WrestleMania 8 Bret Hart out and have him have a match with WrestleMania 21 Kurt Angle. Yeah. It's got to be an ideal case scenario where Bret Hart hasn't been forced into retirement through concussions, but it's a 45-year-old Bret Hart that wrestles Kurt Angle at WrestleMania 21 instead. Yeah. So it's that kind of re- that's level of reality we can accept. Okay. So Simon over the- and obviously you're not 
Because I like when I was suggesting it to John Lister, one example I gave him, and I think I might have mentioned it in the episode, was like Hulk Hogan against Nikita Koloff at WrestleMania 2 instead of Hulk Hogan against King Kong Bundy. Yeah. Someone might do for WrestleMania 8 Hulk Hogan against Ric Flair. Mm. I've hummed and hard a little bit because I, I kind of knew what I wanted, but I didn't know when I wanted it. But I only have, realistically, a very small window in which to do it to the, the apex standard I could have got out of this match. So... Uh, I want a, my dream would have been a Stone Cold Steve Austin versus Hulk Hogan match just to see what it would have looked like. I'm not going to put it at 18 though because I do like the Rock Hulk Hogan match. I'm going to put it at 19. Okay, that's interesting. I was thinking maybe Hollywood Hogan against Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania 15 Mm. could have been amazing. That could have been. Because Austin would have been a big enough star that I think the fans would have booed Hulk Hogan still. So that would have been fascinating. Like a heel Hollywood Hogan getting booed at WrestleMania 15. But, you you know, you're 19's perfectly reasonable as well yeah I, I think obviously hogan's established at that point it's not that i didn't enjoy the street fight against vince mcmahon i just think there could have been a better use of hulk hogan and look it was part three rocky needed his win i don't like the idea i'm taking that away from him and also in this ideal case scenario like austin hasn't been rushed to the hospital the night before yeah suffering from seizures or whatever it was he was having yeah dreams that is the yeah that is part of the dream scenario (laughs) because i have my personal connection to uh hogan versus rock i don't want to take that away from history well i mean this is all theoretical anyway i would say like one of the things i was just because i was saying maybe it could be if you booked out of that wrestlemania and you're taking someone else out of it who would you book them? So, like, if if we'd have asked John Lister, like, what would you have done with Yokozuna at WrestleMania Nine if he's not in the main events against because that's Bret Hart versus Randy Savage? Yeah, maybe you would have said he'll be number three on the Undertaker's winning streak because then you don't have to watch Giant Gonzalez wrestle. <laughs> I'll assume for John Lister's sake that that's probably what he would have said. Yeah, yeah, so. fair enough. Although, again, at that point, they wouldn't have the streak as a thing. So they probably would have booked Yokozuna to win it. Because they would have wanted him to be, to be strong so that then at, like, SummerSlam 93 you can ch- or King of the Ring 93 you can challenge Bret Hart for the belt. I don't really want to think about that reality. <laughs> yeah, and in, in this case, it's easy. Like, just don't have Vince wrestle at 19. Like, nothing was gained, really, in my personal opinion, by having him well, wrestle. Well, one of the greatest shots in wrestling history would be like uh, Yes, but... They're not going to run it anytime soon anyway, so sod it. <laughs> so, yeah. Other events that were happening around this time, in, pe- in case people are curious. The day after this took place, the Oscars happened. Dances with Wolves robbed Goodfellas for Best Picture. Kathy Bates and Jeremy Irons won the two big leading Oscars. Uh, Ayrton Senna won the Brazilian Grand Prix for the first time. Whee. But maybe most importantly around this time, considering what was happening to the WWF as well, Iraqi generals uh, met to discuss a Gulf War ceasefire. But anyway, for the next episode, we're continuing on. We've done our block of WrestleMania 1-4 to and 5-8. to We're now doing 9-12 and we're going right to the end of that one. And talk about a 360 in sense of in-ring competitors and how highly they're rated as performers in the ring. 180. 360 would be back where we started. Well, with Randy Savage, I would argue it's 360. Shall we call it a 270? Yes, go on. <laughs> Split the diff. What is the match, Simon? It is the match for the WWF Championship at WrestleMania 12, which is the rather famous Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart Iron Man match. 
And whilst I think genuinely even Dave Meltzer can't dispute the quality of this match that we've just talked about, although at times it seemed like Simon was going to, <laughs> there are very differing opinions on the match we're covering oh, next. Yes. But for that episode, we're either going to have him as a guest or we're going to have some actual audio input from him. So you're going to be guaranteed to hear a third voice in this. We are having the podcaster and Detroit-based rapper, Novelis, a man who is a great artist, musician, but also so big a wrestling fan that one of the tracks that you'll find in his discography is him and Mega Ran, like, doing a rap song, one verse each, about Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada that is so badass that they're able to get Kenny Omega to introduce the track. So that's something for you to look up in between this episode and that. <laughs> that's wild. And here we are, just two white men from the middle of, middle of England talking about it instead. <laughs> but anyway, until then, if people want to get in touch with you, Simon, for suggestions of hip-hop records that you can listen to as quickly as possible in order to gain some cred in the eyes of novelists, how can they do so? People can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm sending Simon Cross free. Free for the actual number of wrestling participants in this match if we're honest about it <laughs> my name is Lorcan Munnan that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N for the A-N A-N that are at the start of a leaflet that was handed to Randy Savage of a new life in your retirement <laughs> when he went to Florida to really go into the retirement I mean I think he's from Florida anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> you really enjoy those aqua aerobics. <laughs> oh yeah, feet of the deer. <laughs> he does have. Come on, Gladys. <laughs> oh yeah. You know they made a, a spin-off about the the neighbors next to the Golden Girls called Empty Nest. They should have had a spin-off on the neighbors the other side of their house, and it's Randy Savage <laughs> and Randy Elizabeth enjoying their retirement, brother. Oh yeah. <laughs> Thank you for being a macho friend. <laughs> Oh, God. Your heart is true, you're a pal, and my tag team partner as we take on Jake the Snake Roberts and the Undertaker, brother. <laughs> this could continue somewhat indefinitely. Uh, I'm going to write out a pilot script now for this. Oh, God. But until then, there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mother. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something, and I hope you'll continue somehow to join us <laughs> as we go through, because it's already taken us, March Mania. <laughs>